I don't believe in ghosts anymore. How come? Because of our last episode. I thought you never believed in ghosts. No, no. I had I had some some I felt agnostically towards ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> now you viciously disagree with them. Yeah, basically. I don't know. It's just after our episode last time. Uh-huh. With the spirit cone. Mm-hmm. The ghost cone. I don't know. It's just like something in my brain is just like, yeah, ghosts aren't real anymore. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad that you no longer worry about that. I'm glad that you no longer feel the the pull of the of the spirits. Um what are we doing? Oh yeah, ninth configuration. <laughs> Today uh, is the ninth configuration. Uh do you have any big feelings going into this? Nope. Yeah. Uh, so I So this is a movie that is based on a book. Okay, so William Peter Blatty wrote The Exorcist, right? Mm-hmm. So as we covered in the Exorcist episode, Blatty started out as a comedy writer he wrote i think he co-wrote like the first couple of pink panther movies he was a comedy writer also a catholic and those put those two things together and you got his 1966 i believe novel uh twinkle twinkle killer cane uh which was a rollicking philosophical religious satirical war comedy about ptsd and and it didn't do very well so then he does The Exorcist and, oh, and he wrote it with the intention of it being made into a movie. Surprisingly, he wanted William Friedkin, who made The Exorcist, to make it. Like, way before The Exorcist, though. But Friedkin was like, now nah, pass. And so years later, The Exorcist happens and they're like, what do you got next, Blatty? And he's all, well, I wrote this Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane. I know it's not what you want from me, so I'm going to rewrite it. So he rewrote it as a new novel called The Ninth Configuration. It's essentially the same book. It's just different, and it's but it's got a lot of the same like dialogue scenes and a lot of the same things happen, but the ending is totally different. And he was like, I want this to be my next movie. And they were like, well, who's going to make it? And everyone was like, hard pass, hard pass, hard pass. <laughs> so Blatty was like, give it to me. I've been in the movies for long enough. So they let... In the movies. You what? In the movies. He's been in the movies. And so he came on as the director and the screenwriter... Uh, and it's his first film that he ever directed. And the weird thing is that no one wanted to fund it, so Pepsi put up, like, a lot of money for it. Wow, they're going to hate this episode. Uh, yeah, because I'm a Coke drinker myself. So am I. <laughs> I don't know if Pepsi liked the movie anyway. Uh, is, what's the, is it a good movie? Like, what is the... I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, it, what did the people say? What did the people say? Well, we'll find out later, but it was a wild filming, I have heard. Uh, as, as Tom Atkins, who's one of the actors, said in 2009, I have always believed that a movie about the making of that film would have been a much better movie than the actual movie turned out to be. It was kind of a zoo from the very beginning. William Peter Blatty wrote and directed it and financed part of it by selling a home that he had in Malibu. His idea of getting a good ensemble effort from his actors was to take people over to Budapest for two months. Uh, the part I had might have taken two weeks in the States, but he had us all over there for two months. All he ended up getting was 22 really upset, angry, and drunk actors who had a lot of trouble showing up for work. I thought the script was wonderful, but I don't think Blatty ever got what he wanted up on the screen. I think a lot of us took the job because we would be able to go to Prague and Moscow and bounce around Europe when we weren't working. He decided that he would put up the call sheet for the next day at midnight so that you couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> so apparently it was a, a tough shoot. 
Poor Blatty. Poor Blatty. But it's become something of a of a of a cult film. Uh, since then, I have the I have the Blu-ray DVD compo pack, which is right here, which I'm showing to you right now. Uh, this is the, the the combo pack. So I'm I'm looking in looking forward to diving into this with uh, the director's commentary and the featurette with Mark Kermode and some deleted scenes and outtakes and uh, optional English subtitles for the hearing impaired. <laughs> Those are the featurettes, <laughs> special features on the on the Blu-ray. Um, any thoughts before we dive into the ninth configuration? What are you looking at? The audience, the audience can't hear you looking, so please tell me what is going on. It is a spider. What is it doing? Above me. Weaving an evil web. Floating. Ooh. Do you need, um, do you need to reposition yourself? No. <laughs> There's nowhere I could go that the spider wouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's nowhere I can go that the spider... Also, I have delicious pizza next to me, and I'm very excited oh, to Oh, and so it. you're looking forward to eating while we watch a movie. Yeah. All right. I Hopefully haven't eaten it, yet today. <laughs> it does not end up being a spider pizza. I haven't eaten yet today. Well, I, I look forward to seeing you eat whenever I flip back to see you on the screen. Are you ready to watch 1970-somethings? I didn't even check. Nope, 1980s. <laughs> the ninth configuration? Yeah, it's not going to be as good as our last episode, though. God, no. Or it'll be the best. Who knows? We, we have no idea what's going to happen going in. So kick back and get ready to ninthly configurate. I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's Del Toro time. So we're talking about the ninth configuration, which we which we watched. Mm -hmm. We definitely watched the movie. Yes. I cannot guarantee that our insight into the movie will be any better if we hadn't than if we hadn't watched it. Yes. Uh, you actually wanted to record immediately following the viewing. Yep. How come? Because I had a lot I wanted to say, and now I have nothing to say because I don't remember anything. It, this movie was was uh, a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. To, to get through. I oh I almost stopped watching. I almost was like I can't do this anymore. You almost stopped watching multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a there's a strong contingency online of people who who think the who 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 declare the ninth configuration to be uh, a, a, something of a masterpiece of 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 military satire to be something of a pinnacle of William Peter Blatty's creative expression to be something of a a a, a, a an example of of a of a of a of a masterfully performed and experimentally directed uh, I don't know who these people are. I honestly don't understand these people. It seems this movie seems to be to me. It's like watching a really good student film, like someone who had a lot of ideas and a lot of like concepts and philosophical concepts that it's they just like, sort of. It's like they took a film class, mm -hmm. but they never took a screenwriting class. Which is strange because William Peter Blatty got his start as a, a screenwriter. Writer. Yeah, screenwriter. This guy wrote several classic films. Uh, he knows how to write a movie, but I kind of think, I mean, and I listened to the commentary track on this. Not He, he should have taken this story into like, he should have had some people like read this a few times and be like, all right, here's how you turn this into a screenplay mm -hmm. and not and not just the the mess of a novel that it is just put on screen because every problem the book has is right there on the screen. 
plus a few extra problems. Like the <laughs> fact that you can't understand the main character for the entirety of the goddamn movie. <laughs> you said, uh, you said they could have cut every character out of this except for like three, and it would have been a much stronger film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, could. I they could have cut the first hour and ten minutes of this movie into a ten minute segment, mm-hmm. and it would have been better. It would have been a nice like character study of our main mm-hmm. of our main trio. Uh, there's a couple of peripheral characters, like you said, like the inmates or whoever they are, the prisoners, the patients. Who are they? Most of them could be gone, and you would just have lost some color. That's it. Like, and that is exactly like the novel. Like the supporting cast is introduced at great painstaking detail and then they in no way play into the end of the story they just sort of stand around and look confused uh i I will that's a lie actually at least in the novel we find out what happens to all of them in the movie they are forgotten about at the end um so i know this is unfair and i know you're looking at a spider which seems to have stayed in your room (laughs) for several days and i i will recommend a broom just just swish it down if it bothers you so much no i didn't see it it's it's i don't think it's a spider i think it's a piece of dust in a spider web now but it, it spooked me for a second i will say that if it has the same psychological impact on you that dust and that spider are the same creature (laughs) so listeners you can't see this but willow just keeps staring straight up as if she's praying to some unseen (laughs) god which is appropriate considering this movie because this movie is not so much a story as it is william peter blatty going is there a god i know there is let me prove it to you this Uh, movie did the opposite this movie made me believe in God less than I did when I started watching yes. it. Yes. <laughs> because no sane God would allow this movie to exist. <laughs> That's not true. There, Okay. There are some things that I really liked about this movie. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm going to say. There are some great performances. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, Blatty knows how to write dialogue. He has some poppy dialogue. Uh but this is his first directing job and it shows and someone else should have gone through and been like just turn this into a movie william make this into a movie and not like a series of disconnected scenes and then a weird biker bar moment so uh (laughs) that wasn't Um, a moment that was 20 (laughs) minutes of unnecessary sexual violence Let's be real. <laughs> this movie, Warning, has some unnecessary sexual violence that is in the book, but doesn't take up nearly as much time in the book. Uh, and it's one of those, to me, like, when you can say something in a novel, like, and then this happened. But then when you dramatize it, it has to take a while because, it, to me, it's the... Uh, it's the uh, What's that? What's that book about the archery and the kids who have to kill each other? Uh, uh, the island one. Yeah, where, where all the kids have to go on the island. island the Hunger the, Games. The, oh, I thought we were talking about the other one. The uh, are you thinking? I was gonna say the Island of Doctor Moreau, but that's not it. It's the one you're thinking of, the Lord of the Flies. Yeah. No, no, the Hunger Games. To me, it's the Hunger Games problem, which is you can say something happens in a novel, but as soon as you put it on screen. You have to, like, show it. And it suddenly stops being an abstract concept, like 10-year-old girl gets a spear through her chest. Uh, But as soon as you show that on screen, it becomes horrifically violent. And, like, not the, like, dramatic moment you were hoping for, but, like, a very disturbing and distressing moment in a film. And that's what happens in this movie. You can have a guy be 
intimidated sexually at a biker bar and just say that in a book and you're like okay that happens but then you show it on screen and you're like this is taking up too much of my like psychic like uh real estate i can't handle this in this wacky comedy about soldiers with ptsd also so, very homophobic <laughs> yeah weirdly homophobic in that you and i discussed this in that very 19 like 70s early 80s way of like you know who has a lot in common uh bondage people and bikers therefore i guess they're all the same uh leather leather bars yeah so uh yeah i think it speaks volumes that police academy did a better job at portraying a gay bar than the ninth configuration did so um yes so this movie the ninth configuration it, it's set in uh the late 60s i guess uh and it's set in a castle in the pacific northwest and I guess the castle was built by a woman who, like, wanted it there. And then she gave it to the army because she didn't want it anymore. And the army was like, free real estate. It's, it's free real estate. And so they, <laughs> that's my, that's Phil's meme moment, is free real estate. And so they, uh, it's true. That's what they say. They're like, it's an inappropriate place for a mental hospital, but they were able to get it for free. So... And it's it represents... the worst place. <laughs> I think I commented uh, a lot on this about how it's the worst place for someone with like a paranoia, like something that causes paranoia or delusions or whatnot. Because it's literally a Dracula castle. It's literally a Dracula castle. It's literally covered with statues that look like they're looking at you or like uh -huh. they're monsters. And statues that represent fractured psyches. Hold on to that. That'll come into play later. Um, so our, our, our main character, I guess, is this guy, uh, or our focal character. There's two protagonists, kind of. There's Billy Cutshaw, played by Scott Wilson, who you may know as Herschel from The Walking Dead. Um, or you may not. Our, our listeners might know. He played, he plays Herschel as in The Walking Dead. Billy Cutshaw is a, was an astronaut who was going to go to the moon, and then on the launch pad, he freaked out, said that he couldn't go to the moon because it's bad for his skin. Uh, apparently, he has a breakdown, and he gets taken to this mental hospital that's also a castle in the Pacific Northwest. But he's the only non-military person in this castle. Everyone else has what they call combat fatigue, which we would today call PTSD. Or wouldn't it be um, PTSS now? Post-traumatic stress syndrome? Because I don't think it's called post-traumatic stress disorder anymore. Something like that. It's very ill-defined because the guy who is in charge of this place, Major Groper, played by Neville Brand. Which is a terrible name. Groper. It's probably intended to be comedy. Uh, Neville Brand, who plays Major Groper. Um, now I can't stop thinking of it as inappropriate. Uh, not only was he an actor, not only was he an actual uh, World War II veteran, he was the second most decorated World War II veteran in, in, in like, America. Like, no he wonder was like, he was so good at being so angry. He was very angry. Well, no, um, I was talking about in a specific scene. <laughs> Major Groper, uh, Major Groper. Uh, he was also given an extra monologue that was ended up being cut because uh, Bilati was like, this, this is too many monologues. Well, he was like, you, you performed it too well. It makes us actually too much on Groper's side and it makes the audience go, I think maybe Groper's right. I feel really bad for this guy. So Aren't you supposed it. to be on his side? Gro well, you're not supposed to hope that he's like, that he's right about the inmates like being like a bunch of liars and con artists. So. Oh, well, I think that, I think that, I don't, well, okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're lying about being, having PTSD. D, right. I think they have it 
but no one's taking them seriously, so they feel the need to act out more so that they can get away from what's causing them distress. Which is actually brought up in the movie, in the Hamlet scene. Mm -hmm. uh, which is funny because, like, in the book and in the movie, they bring up this theory that Hamlet, Hamlet wasn't faking his madness, but he also wasn't mad. It was both. He put on the antic disposition to keep from succumbing to what would they what they call his madness and that's a theory that like the men in the in the in the in the asylum are feigning madness to keep themselves from from just succumbing to the effects of their ptsd which to me is an interesting theory that they're like they're acting out in order to control their own their own uh mental illness which is a cool thing as an actor to play like that to me that's like a very active choice and unfortunately the book and the movie undercut it they're like nah 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 that's just a bs theory but as you just said i think that's what's going on here yeah i mean as someone who is mentally ill mm -hmm. and was untreated for a lot of my life i can definitely say that a lot of my strange behavior and concerning behavior was me trying to regain some sense of control and avoid things that made me uncomfortable. Right. It's it's not like, I'm not, I am mentally ill, but I'm not the way that I was pretending to be because I'm mentally ill. Right. It's a complicated thing that I feel like a lot of people don't put a lot of thought into. People just get accused of faking or right. whatnot. And, and it's really hard to... To make people understand that I'm not my I'm acting out, but I'm not acting out because I'm faking. I'm acting out because I'm faking because I'm ill. Right. No, it's, I think it's, that's it's, it's it's a complicated thing. <laughs> and I think it's 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 so limiting to 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 say either you're faking or it's totally uncontrolled. Like mm -hmm. just because you have a mental illness, just because you have just because you're mentally ill doesn't mean you don't try to take control of your situation. And I think the movie dabbles in those waters and that the original book, Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, actually deals with it a lot better. It's because eventually in that, and they kind of do it in the movie, but in, it's the whole point of the book, the original book, which is let's just let these guys then just indulge in all of their fantasies and maybe that'll help and they kind of do it in this movie but then it gets undercut by the biker bar scene and then everyone gets forgotten about uh, also this movie is so morally reprehensible in the psych psychiatric field that nothing right. they did could possibly have brought them back from that <laughs> Right. And I don't think the movie is trying to say this is an ideal situation for any of these men. It's very critical of the military and the way that they kind of like shut people away. I mean, they say that they're trying to get these guys out of the way. Mm -hmm. So uh, Groper is in charge of this. Uh, and there's all these men. And let's just say it right now. This movie treats mental illness as if these are Warner, like uh, Hanna-Barbera characters. They may as well be Yogi Bear's gang mm -hmm. uh, from like wacky races. These, are, these each, are the Looney Tunes. Yep. Each one of them is a separate cartoon character with their own personal quirk. And they are, they are some of them very entertaining quirks, but like... They uh the standout is Jason Miller who plays uh the priest in The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Um he plays Lieutenant Reno. He is trying to direct a production of of uh, Julius Caesar. He's trying to stage Shakespeare's plays but cast them entirely with dogs. And uh he's very passionate about this and you're like that's not a a real thing that a like, person with mental illness would do most likely <laughs> but it is very well like, he is very fun to watch and the dog is describe the dog 
a mop. And yeah, it is a, is a living mop, and it is the most adorable thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, would you say the dog is the MVP of this movie? Yeah. Because <laughs> every yeah. time that dog was on, no, I you know stop. who the MVP of this movie is? The who? guy who keeps stealing pants. The pants stealer, uh, played by William Peter Blatty, Lieutenant Frome. <laughs> It's his cameo. So what happened was this movie got cast, uh, and then the week before they started filming, they lost two cast members. And those cast members were the actor playing Kane and the actor playing Cutshaw. The two leads left. They they told uh, Nicole Williamson, I'm sorry, we miscast you as Kane. We can't use you. And I don't know why the guy playing Cutshaw left, but... They replaced Kane with Stacey Keach, who came in three days before filming started and was like, I got this. I got this. Which to me says a little bit about his performance. Like, he didn't have any time to really rehearse. He just chose an attitude and he played it. But with the rest of the cast, they shuffled everybody up. So Cutshaw, was a, who I think was really good, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Wilson, was originally playing... Um, Scott Wilson was originally playing um, Fairbanks. You just heard Apollo knock something over because um, he is upset about being here. Um, Michael Moriarty was supposed to play Cutshaw. He got fired. He left the week before shooting. He's replaced by the actor playing Fairbanks. And so they had to shuffle everyone around. So that is why the guy playing Frome became Fairbanks. William Peter Blatty had to step into the role of Frome. And it just it was kind of a mess. You know what we completely forgot because of all the other horrible stuff that happens in this movie? What? The entire like thirty second scene of just one guy having blackface on. That gets mentioned in the in the commentary track. Uh uh they ask William Peter Blatty, you know, they're like, You directed this and you directed Exorcist Three, and both of those scenes use blackface as like a as like a stand-in for for something as a symbol. They're like, "What was what is your deal with blackface?" And he's like, "I don't know. It was just a choice. I thought it'd be funny in this movie. Like, it's not. He didn't think it'd be funny because he thinks blackface is funny. He thought it would be funny. He was wrong. It doesn't work. It's actually in most versions of the movie, it's not there. It was restored for this version of the movie because again, Ninth Configuration has been re-edited so many times." So many times. And they're like, we put everything back in for this one. So it's... uh, It wasn't necessary. Just like a good more than an hour of this film. It's uh, it's it's one of the one, I can't even remember who it is in blackface, uh, lip syncing along with a, an Al Jolson number, while Moses Gunn, the only black member of the cast, uh, stares on in bemused uh, indignation. Uh, uh, at least you see the only black actor in the sh- in the in the film just sort of staring like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> um, so you can get a little bit of commentary on it, but yeah, blackface is always awkward to see, and uh, and it doesn't serve purpose no doesn't serve a purpose um the actor who plays the assistant to jason miller uh because he has like a a guy who's helping him helping him out like sort of round up the dogs Mm -hmm. is the actor joe spinell and he plays a character named lieutenant spinell joe spinell you know from the godfather you know from the rocky movies he's a big actor with like uh and what i recognize his name Joe Spinell, you may know him from uh, Star Crash. Nope. Or uh, Cruising. Nope. Or Sorcerer. Nope. Uh, he was he auditioned for the movie, 
and didn't get the role he wanted, but Blatty loved him so much that he cast him as a made-up character named Spinel. So he just was like, you can be the assistant. You just run around, do some funny stuff, and I'll put in some of your stuff. I like you so much. I'll just let you be in the movie. <laughs> there is uh, an inmate who wants a flying belt because he thinks he should be allowed to fly. No, he wants uh, his belt back. He wants it back. He thinks his flying belt got taken away. He gets it later on. Mm -hmm. You see him flying with his flying belt, um, which doesn't happen in the novel The Ninth Configuration, but does happen in Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane. So congratulations on putting that back in. Um, there is also some like leftover like stuff from this castle used to belong to uh, Bella Lugosi from the original novel because uh, you see a poster of Bella Lugosi as Dracula in the background. I wish they had just left that all in. I wanted to see a Bella Lugosi robot that says I love you. I kept saying that throughout us watching this. If they had cut the biker scene and left in the plot line where they find the underground passageway that has the secret room with the Bella Lugosi robot that says I love you, that's the movie. Yes. Because they show them like digging tunnels, but then they never get back to it. Yeah. Also, like, why would they? Who? I get they're indulging them. Yes. But why <laughs> does that involve pickaxes and destroying the stability of a building? Because they're trying to recreate The Great Escape, the movie The Great Escape. That's a plot in Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane that's really downplayed in the ninth configuration, but then he put it back into the movie a little bit, which is why all the guys have to get dressed as Nazis. Because that's it. They're trying to recreate the Great Escape. That makes sense in Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, which culminates in like a wacky farcical ending. It, also a death, but like a wacky farcical ending. It doesn't work in the night. You cannot have sexual violence at a biker bar, and also it just tonally it's inconsistent. Is, I you guess can't have you can't have something so serious, but then also be like, and we're funny Nazis, haha, because it doesn't work. Well, and I mean, it can, but you have to be a better filmmaker. Like, you also like, can't have one of the characters be so, like, obviously emotionally distraught and destroyed by to having me, to wear this outfit. <laughs> you can, but, like, look at Jojo Rabbit, which came out a couple of years ago. I Jojo Rabbit it's... is an emotionally devastating comedy about Nazis, and it works because you have a good filmmaker making it. But that's a movie it. about Nazis. But what I'm saying is you can have this symbolism. I'm just saying William Peter Blatty's, this was the wrong project to start off with. It well, just... Also, there's a difference between a comedy about Nazis and a comedy that, that just is like, that. have Nazis. <laughs> This is this movie is a mess. So the plot, such as it is, we haven't even mentioned Killer Kane yet. The plot, He's not important. <laughs> the plot, such as it is, is that the psychiatrist has left this castle asylum, and they get a new psychiatrist. His name is Colonel Hudson Kane, former Marine Corps member. He he arrives, and uh, there is a choice. You okay? <laughs> There's a choice you can make as a filmmaker. If there is going to be a third act reveal about one of your main characters. You can set this up in many ways. You can just completely obfuscate it and then at the last minute drop it in and have the audience go, what? You can drop clues throughout the movie so that when the audience looks back, they're like, oh, clearly this was set up, but we were too distracted by other things to notice. You can reveal at the very beginning the twist so that the audience is aware the whole time and you're watching the other characters not know that they are being set up for a big twist. Or you can do what William Peter Blatty does, which is all of those things. <laughs> Uh, so that when this character is introduced, the first thing you notice is that there's something terribly wrong with him. <laughs> but then also try to make it a big reveal later on in the movie. Stacey Keach enters and is clearly messed up. 
there is something violently wrong with this man, which is not the way it's handled in the book. In the book, he shows up and he's just sort of bemused and like, this is a weird place I've been dropped. I'm a psychiatrist and I don't understand what's going on in this castle. In the movie, he shows up and he's like, my name is Kane and I'm going to talk very quietly and intensely the whole time and you're going to be terrible. And like, oh my, what is happening? <laughs> Why is he acting like this? And also, like you said, you can't hear half of what he says. Also, the second that he shows up, we're going to have someone be like, he's here. Yes. Time to s- set up everything. <laughs> so he shows up. There's a there's a character named Krebs. Um, Sergeant Krebs, played by the brilliant Tom Atkins. I, I very much enjoy Tom Atkins. Uh, he's a character actor who still working. Uh, he is he is sort of just there. You don't really notice. He has a lot of lines, but uh, it is established uh, later on. Blatty said in the, in the interview that Krebs is one of the few characters who knows what's going on with Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Krebs is kind of there as his handler. But there's also Dr. Fell, who is the best Wait, character in the movie. I don't know any of these names because I wasn't paying attention. Who's who's who? <laughs> who's Krebs. the angry man? <laughs> Who's which angry man? Just the one, the one who's always, who's always angry. That's Groper. Okay. Groper has no idea what's going on. Krebs does have any idea what's going on, but trust me, you don't remember this character. He swings in and out of scenes. You don't remember him. I so noticed him. Not, I was like. He's not the guy who is upset. No. Okay. That's Fell. No, I know who best... Fell is. I know, yes. I know Fell. But it's Groper. Not Gro- Groper is, is the one who yelled about having to wear yes. a Nazi uniform. He's the drill sergeant. Like he's okay. like the, he's the major. That's what Krebs... I thought. I just wasn't sure. <laughs> Krebs is just around. Then there is Colonel Fell, played by Ed Flanders, who is the doctor. He doesn't have pants for the first half of the movie. And if you're not of Ed, Ed Flanders is one of the greatest character actors of all time he he was from he's known from the tv series saint elsewhere he's in uh the exorcist 3 he is brilliant in the exorcist 3 face father dyer in that he takes over the role of father dyer uh ed flanders is like the emotional heart of this movie he is he is the 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 doctor you find out later on he's got a relationship going way back with killer with kane uh i don't think we we have to i don't think we have to obscure what that relationship is okay fine uh spoiler alert kane comes on as a psychiatrist he is actually not a psychiatrist he is pretending to be his own brother Mm -hmm. uh basically what happened was he got he they accidentally sent him a message for his brother after he killed a young boy in the war and Mm -hmm. he was so shell-shocked from it that he took over the role of his brother in his mind to become this great healer and now they're like we need to fix we his brother's like i need to fix him so we're gonna have him pretend to be this great healer so he can be fixed but also i'm gonna be his psychiatrist which is i will be healthy i am dr fell but it's not who i really am i will pretend to be my brother's bro not brother but he doesn't recognize me I'm going to pretend to try to heal him, but what I'm really trying to do is simply make him realize I'm his brother. I'm very sad about this. None of this makes any sense. This would this is the worst thing you could possibly do to a person experiencing a psychotic break. Yes. What you should do is get them help. Yep. Instead, you send this guy, Kane, who's known as Killer Kane, who people know who he is because he's famous, because he is like he has like 80-some kills. He murdered a boy in Vietnam, cut off his head, and was discovered in the jungle holding a boy head. Which we get uh, to see, which is great. Which we get to see, uh, uh, played by, I believe, the only Vietnamese actor they could find in... Um, 
in like Bulgaria or wherever they filmed this. Uh, they they tried to have a whole flashback to Vietnam and come to find out uh, there just weren't that many Vietnamese actors in like Budapest. That's where they are. They were going to do this whole sequence in Vietnam and they were like, we have we they found one 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 young boy and he was like I need old men and they're like can't we can't get them for you. Um, this part of the movie reminded me of something. <laughs> okay. Because uh, a I just think they handled everything about this really badly. Um, and if you want an actually good book about the Vietnam War and the mm-hmm. effects it had on soldiers, I really recommend the things they carried by Tim O'Brien. Very, yep. It, it it handles it really well, much better than this movie does. <laughs> um, and it, I think it's 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 a very good book. <laughs> what was interesting is that he wrote Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane in the late sixties, and I think sixty six, and it was at the time the first book that started dealing with this. Um, he of course was not in Vietnam, but people were very critical of it. Uh, by the time this movie came out, it had been dealt with better. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we we were just a few years from getting First Blood, which was a movie that dealt with you know majorly dealt with uh, with PTSD and soldiers. Uh, we had Deer Hunter coming out. A lot of stuff was was being made. This movie was already a relic, in my opinion, before it was even made. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kane, yes, Kane has a psychotic break. Rather than getting him the help he needs, they let him pretend to be a psychiatrist because they, yes, like you said, uh, Dr. Fell, his actual brother, thinks that he needs to help people. But there's these people are cartoon characters. They can't get help. Any Like, there's no way. We haven't even mentioned the fact that this whole movie is a treatise on whether or not God exists and why does evil exist in the world. It's William, So William Peter Blatty is, of course, a Catholic writer. He's very Catholic. Um, and the story was inspired by the fact that his mother died. His mother had a St. Christopher's medallion, which we all know from, uh, the movie we just watched. The Changeling. The Changeling. Um, his mother had a St. Christopher's medallion. The movie that made me stop believing in ghosts, and this movie made me stop even (laughs) believing slightly in God. So, you know, hand in hand. His mother had two medals she wore around her neck. And when she died, she's in the casket, and the undertaker is like, you know, is there anything of hers you would like to keep with you? And he said, I'd like one of the medals she wears. So they gave him the medal. Days later, he's in his house and he feels something around his neck and he realizes he's wearing both medals. And he was only given one. The other one was buried with his mother. The St. Christopher's medallion somehow appeared around his neck. It was a miracle. It He was he already a, a faithful Catholic, but this just restored the fact that God exists and the, the appearance of the St. Christopher's medallion would become a major part of all of his writing after that. It, made, it played a big part in the end of The Exorcist, and it plays a big part in this movie, a reappearance of a medallion. Um, William Peter Blatty is such a Catholic that all of his proof of the existence of God is circular. And it's like, well, of course God exists because this bizarre miracle that only I witnessed happened. And I'm like, I congrat great. I, I totally respect your your beliefs. Like I totally respect the fact that you have this overwhelming faith. But it's that weird, like he he has this whole thing where he's like, God exists. The proof that God exists is the fact that people will do selfless things for other people without any thought of their own gain. Here are some made up stories of that happening. Also, it only proves God exists because I said that's proof. 
altruism can be can be justified for many reasons uh mm-hmm. up to and including the fact that it's not he says that if god didn't exist we would all be just horrible people lying and cheating and stealing uh, and getting whatever we want never thinking about others that is fundamentally not true considering that there are people who don't believe in god who do good things for people all the time like that is fundamentally untrue it's but also fundamentally of, untrue because the biological urge of pack animals is to help support the pack is to help we know for a fact that altruism and just helping other people supports the community the healthy community is healthy for everyone like it's just that is just biological fact and there but are plenty are, of people who do believe in god who are terrible terrible people who are terrible people <laughs> and but that is the crux of this movie so kane and cutshaw cutshaw is the astronaut kane wants to know why cutshaw didn't want to go to the moon cutshaw won't give him a straight answer uh he bounces around he's wacky he's wackadoo uh he does have some good choreography in this movie <laughs> He does. Uh, again, very strong performance on Cutshaw's part. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up, this movie is always given as like a movie about two men challenging each other to prove that like whether God exists. But that doesn't even come up until way into the movie. This movie uh, is about a clown. <laughs> it is about a clown. It's about a series of clowns. <laughs> This movie would almost work better as a puppetoon movie, as a as a as a as a, uh, a Rankin Bass not stop motion animated film. It's so off the wall. But uh, Cutshaw challenges Kane to prove that God, if God exists, you prove to me God exists. And Kane says, he's a because God. People, God. Well, he calls him Foot the whole time. He's like, how do we know God isn't a Foot? And so he so Cutshaw calls God Foot the entire movie. Kane is like, I know God exists because people do nice things for each other. Cutshaw's like. Prove it. Prove that a person does something for another person without thought of their own reward. Kane is like, I'm, I'm not going to say Kane says he'll prove it because he doesn't actually. It just it sort of sits there in the back of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, wackiness ensues. At one point, Cutshaw leaves the le- get steals a car, goes to a biker bar. Does he even steal the car? No one seems to care. They're just like, yeah, Cutshaw just left. Well, that's because at this point, Kane is like, we need to indulge all the fantasies of these men, call the military, get costumes and jackhammers and Nazi uniforms and a flying belt, and we'll let all these men live out their fantasies. Unfortunately, uh, many- they can't control the atoms. They can- oh, yeah. There's So there's a guy, one of the characters wants to break through a wall with a he, hammer because- he, he has, quote, multiple personality disorder, which- Whatever. Whatever. But he also believes that he can walk through walls because it's actually, in the novel, it makes more sense. He says, he gives this whole long explanation where he's like, the the space between atoms is greater than the space of the atoms. We contain more space than we do solid matter, which is true. Like the space between atoms is vast. Like the space, it's like the distance between planets considering their size. So he thinks that if you can align the space between the atoms with the atoms in a wall, you should be able to walk through the wall. Theoretically, you should be able to do that because the atoms can align up and you should just be able to face through and he can't what fortunately that's not how atoms work that's not how atoms work but in his mind that's how it works and it makes it makes some kind of sense he thinks he should be able to phase through a wall but he can't do it he keeps trying keeps hitting the wall so he grabs a sledgehammer and he starts smashing through the wall because he's punishing the atoms for not working correctly he thinks if he can intimidate them into lining up then he'll be able to walk through the wall it's actually a very funny monologue in the book uh it's like it's a cool monologue it's this guy who's got this logic played so serious and then in the movie, it's like, 
it's filmed like a horror scene. And I'm like, this is a a fun moment in the book where the guy's like, I got this idea. So the ad, like, it's very much like he's got this hammer and he's explaining to you his scientific theory. And you're like, okay, dude. It's, I actually read it out loud. I thought it was so much fun. Like when I read the book, I was like, I got to perform this. Like I've got to stand up and do this because it's a fun monologue. And then in the movie, he's like, I'm angry at the Adams. I'm like, oh, no, 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 my friend. This is supposed to be a whimsical moment. We're supposed to enjoy this character. Instead, you've got Stacy Keach, who's playing everything like this, and a character who's playing everything. You're like, this is just way too much for this movie. Like, let me have some fun in this in this comedy. Doesn't work. <laughs> So all the characters are being indulged. Keep in mind, this is an hour and a half into them, this long-ass movie. It's a two-hour movie. In the midst of all this wacky... Oh, yeah, and they bring in all these dogs to audition for Shakespeare. Again, should be fun. We're watching dogs audition for Shakespeare, but it's in the midst of Nazis, and we're about to see sexual violence. So I did laugh at the poodle. You've got you've got to love the poodle. What does the poodle do? The poodle's the one, the snooty one, right? Yes. She walks in and then he's like, you're no good. And then she like bites him or something. Right. He's like, she bit me. Uh, and we also get the, my, the best joke in the in the book, which is also the best joke in the movie, but it's not played for laughs in the movie, which is Jason Miller as the director saying, uh, I, do you think if I, he says like, uh, I have this whole thing where, uh, where during Julius Caesar, the dogs like kill the guy and Julius Caesar looks up and says like, et tu, and I can't remember what the joke is, but he also says the best joke, which is, and do you think that if I cast a great Dane as Hamlet, they're going to say that I, and then he gets cut off. And I love the fact that like, they don't let him finish the joke, which is, you know, cast a great Dane as Hamlet. People are going to say like, you're a little, a little too on the nose. Um, I just, I love it. And it gets undercut in the movie, but it made me laugh out loud when I read it in the book. I was like, that's clever. See, William Peter Blatt, he's a good joke writer. In any case, Cutshaw steals a car, drives to a biker bar for some reason. You got to remember that it's we haven't not, seen- It's not a biker bar. Right. <laughs> it's a normal bar. Because the waitress is- His wife, Peter Blatty's wife, the tennis played player. By, played by a famous uh, William Peter Blatty's wife, who is a, a world a world champion tennis player, or this was his wife at the time. You got to remember that William Peter Blatty, uh, staunch Roman Catholic, got divorced like three or four times. Yeah, makes uh, sense. Um, his wife, who is a tennis pro named Linda Tuero, at the time she was Linda Blatty. Uh, you can look her up. She's still alive. Uh, she's the waitress at this rough and tough bar, but she looks like uh, she just stepped out of a parent-teacher meeting. Like mm -hmm. she looks like she's she's she is kind and sweet and elfin, and um, but also there is like this horrible biker gang there. And what are they called? Like. The Satan's Misfit. There's some stupid biker name. I can't remember what they're called. It has uh, a swear word in it, so we won't be able to say it anyways. <laughs> they look like they stepped right out of central casting. They're wearing makeup because, of course, they are. They are bikers from the movie. They look like they came out of the movie, uh, I said, uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Mm -hmm. They look like... They look like if a high school did Jesus Christ Superstar, this is what the apostles are going to look like. Like, this is our idea of tough, man. They got leather jackets and eye makeup. And you're like, okay, whatever. And, of course, they recognize Cutshaw as the as the astronaut who freaked out on the launch pad. And as, as happens when you recognize a famous astronaut in public, you start threatening him with violence. I don't understand what's going on. It made no sense in the book either. Well, they... But they're super anti-military and i feel I like well because the that's like the that's that part of that is what makes kane like snap in the end but they're super anti-everybody but also like 
I hate this scene. So I the was waitress, so mad watching this scene. The waitress doesn't call the cops. She calls the military. She's like, is there a military base or something nearby? And I'm like, just call the cops. But the they, she called call the military base. Kane finds out that Cutshaw is being harassed by these bikers. So he shows up. They start beating up both of them. They beat up Kane. They beat up Cutshaw. They start sexually assaulting Cutshaw. It's unpleasant. I mean, you don't see, well, you do see something, but it's not like, like you don't see nudity or anything. And mm-hmm. nothing actually happens. Like, because as they're about to sexually assault Cutshaw, because of course they are, because they're bikers, I guess, Kane snaps. Killer Kane snaps and he kills everyone in the bar. <laughs> like, he kills them all. I hate this movie, by the way. He kills them all. Uh, Cutshaw brings Kane back to the to the castle, and they have a long conversation. It's very long, and Kane. Says, I stopped paying attention. I'm not gonna lie. I was just so upset about what happened at the bar, and I couldn't understand anything Kane was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very hard to hear. And I didn't uh, care at this point. Kane is in a chair. He's covered by a, bl- a blanket. And he asks Cutshaw, why don't you want to go to the moon? And Cutshaw says, I'm afraid that I will. if I die up there, I'll die alone. There's nobody up there. I'm terrified of being alone and dying alone. And that makes sense to me. I'm like, finally, yes, this is a good part. I like this scene. I like this exchange. He's like, I'm terrified of dying alone. And and then Kane is like, he's, he's kind of fading. Cutshaw leaves. You see Kane's hand fall from under the blanket. It's bloody. He has a bloody knife. You find out that Cain killed himself, and everyone's like, what? And then it's five years later, and... After the exorcist. Yes, after the exorcist has happened. Cutshaw returns to the castle, and he he has a letter from Cain that Cain wrote before he died. You find out Cain killed himself to cure everyone, to prove that a person will do something selfless, to prove that God exists. And it works! No, it, it doesn't. Works. This doesn't make any sense. Suicide Kane's is not a death. selfless act. Kane's God. death cured Cutshaw. And I guess in the book, it doesn't... It, in the book, it snaps a few of the guys out of their, like, vicious cycle. It doesn't say it cured them. It just says they... they you assume that there's a few who were just sort of stuck in a cycle. It sort of snapped them out of it. The rest of them st- went off to other hospitals in the book. It's like most of them went off to other hospitals. They were legitimately, like suffering from ptsd <laughs> their their psychiatrist killing himself in the castle didn't actually cure them come to find out uh, i will give the book that it's like didn't work for most people cut sean just his whole deal was that he didn't believe in god apparently that's the whole problem he gets back in his car after he reads the letter and there is uh the medallion has re- has mysteriously appeared in the book he's like when his driver asks him like aren't you afraid of being alone up there or something? And he's like, or aren't you afraid of like being up on the moon or is it weird being up on the moon? And he's like, it depends on who you're with. To which you're supposed to, as the reader, be like, oh, he believes in God now. And as as we figured out, as we said, since the exorcist takes place between the main action of the book and this ending, that way when Reagan tells him you're going to die up there because he is the astronaut from the exorcist, when Reagan tells him you're going to die up there, the reason Pazuzu didn't affect the astronaut is because he had already had proof of of God shown to him by the death of Killer Kane, and he was able to go to the moon and be like, it's I, it's all good. I was up on the moon, and guess what I saw? Jesus Christ crucified on a cross. We do, we do see that. <laughs> uh, we see an astronaut on the moon, and uh, and you see the giant Jesus cross, and that's weird. 
Um, would it would it surprise you if I told you that there was also a scene that was cut that was supposed to be the beginning of the, from the beginning of the movie where Cain has a dream where he's crucified between two other crucified people and they're played by one of the one of the PepsiCo uh, executives and who, who financed the film? Are you lying? And you sound I like am you're lying. not lying. I am not lying. It is a scene where they are up on the cross playing army guys and they're like, "What are you doing here?" And one of them is one of the PepsiCo. Uh, I'm going to what say something was, right Pepsi now. Pepsi wanted to open. Pepsi wanted to buy a bottling plant in Budapest. Budapest said, "You can't buy a bottling plant here. You can't have this bottling plant PepsiCo unless you bring some business to Budapest." So PepsiCo said, "We will pay for this movie to be made if you film it in Budapest." That is the whole reason Pepsi financed this, so they could get access to a bottling plant in Budapest. And also, one of the PepsiCo executives wanted to play a character in the movie, and so he was allowed to play a general who actually shows up later on. But he also. I drank Diet Coke while we watched this movie. (laughs) You do see a Pepsi machine in the movie one time. But, okay, we're getting off track because I had some commentary I wanted to make on the Catholic Church. Yes. Um, Okay, so there's this thing within the Catholic Church that I hate. And there's a lot of things in the Catholic Church that I hate. There's a lot of things I hate when it comes to organized religion. No offense Mm -hmm. if you're Catholic or Christian. No offense intended. You can't have suicide be the ultimate sin and also have it be the greatest selfless act you cannot have both i'm sorry but you can't have both can i tell you that william peter blatty addresses that he he went back later and re-edited the ending of this movie to take out the bloody knife he filmed two versions of that shot one version doesn't have the knife he went back and re-edited the movie in the 90s so the letter says that kane didn't kill himself that he was stabbed by the bikers but didn't tell anyone about it because he wanted to die to let his death be a curative that is still suicide According to the Catholic Church, that's not suicide. And William Peter Blatty was like, oh no, I screwed up. Everyone's going to think of this as suicide and not sacrifice. Because Jesus died on the cross, he could have gotten out of it, but he chose to die. That's not suicide, that's sacrifice. Because he's doing it for other people. So Blatty was like, "Uh uh-oh. If he takes the knife to himself, though, people could misinterpret this as like, I'm just trying to kill myself to get out of my pain. But then he went back later on and he was like, it's just stupid. That's not. That's not what. I, Do you know I, I, how much Jesus could have done if he hadn't died? No, because I didn't know the man. Exactly. <laughs> it's symbolic. So what I'm saying is, your concern totally legit. Blatty recognized that as a Catholic, and he worried a lot about it. Okay, great, good for him. I'm still talking to the rest of the Catholic Church because they're still very much. They still I'm, have this problem. <laughs> I'm saying that martyrdom. The Catholic Church recognizes that martyrdom and suicide, sacrifice and suicide. Because look at all those saints who allowed themselves to be who allowed themselves to be caught and killed for the Catholic Church. Like that's like that's a good thing. That's like a thing they do. <laughs> I think it's a stupid thing. Yes, of course it doesn't make any sense, particularly in the context of Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane. By the way, there's no biker bar in Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane. He just kills himself as part of the wacky ending of the movie of the story which i actually thought works better because the biker bar thing does make it seem like oh no i snapped i better kill myself Mm -hmm. like if he does it like as the as the culmination of a philosophical argument it actually makes more sense to me like oh there's only one way to prove to this guy that god exists i got like as opposed to still selfish because he's trying to win an argument (laughs) none of what he did was a selfless act he was trying to prove that god exists and he won the argument because he ended up dying that's not selfless that's being an ass (laughs) (laughs) and we have been totally forgetting 
our our beautiful man, the most beautiful man in the movie, Ed Flanders, as Colonel Fell, the actual Kane, the actual brother of Kane, who through this whole movie is desperately trying to get his brother just to recognize him and and say like I recognize you, my brother, and has and breaks down in tears several times because he's so worried about Kane, and then in the end is just an emotional wreck, and then you never see him again. To me, if you're going with this plot, the movie is about Fell. He is the emotional center of this and it doesn't help it doesn't help that ed flanders is such a great actor and that's his face that you just want to give a hug to the whole time he's hilarious he knows what movie he's in and i'm just like make this about fell funny thing in the original movie uh in the original book twinkle twinkle killer kane his character is named dr norman fell uh which is just a coincidence but norman fell um is the name of the actor who went on to uh, to play Mr. Roper on uh, on Three's Company, and, and by the time the second the rewrite of the book came out, he's like, well, I can't call him Norman Fell. He's a famous <laughs> actor, and people would be like, Mr. Roper. So he like changed it to I can't remember what his first name is in the next book, but it's not Norman. Um, this movie gets released by Warner Brothers, who uh, Bly hates. William Peter Blatty was like, I hate Warner Brothers. They screwed up The Exorcist. I don't want them to have any hand in this movie, but they end up being the only people who distribute it. They distribute Wait, it as... He thinks they screwed up The Exorcist? The, distri- the distribution of that. William Peter Blatty has a lot of opinion. Warner Brothers releases his movie. They advertise it as a new horror masterpiece from the creator of The Exorcist. And he's like, what? <laughs> like all the ads are like... Are like are like if you were terrified by The Exorcist, you'll be pooping your pants. And, and he's like, that's not what this movie is. So he pulls it from distribution, re-edits it, re-releases it. This movie got re-released so many times. It got released under the title Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane at one point. He's never happy with it. He doesn't think that it's ever a, a great film. So he keeps trying to re-edit it, re-release it. Uh, gets chopped to pieces. The version that you and I watched is the most. I think complete version of it that that exists. Um, it never does well. It gets weird reviews. Uh, like people like it's it's interesting. Like I'm not sure what they're going for. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of money. It never makes a lot of money. Uh, but I mean, it doesn't really matter. It wasn't. It didn't have much of a budget. Uh, it became a bit of a cult classic. That's so stupid. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go on the record as saying I did not enjoy this movie. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Even though I did watch it again, I watched it with the commentary track. Uh, I might watch it. it I enjoyed gives... talking about this movie. Yes, it's a conversation starter. It's got a lot of interesting points. I think Blatty is a good ideas man. I think he's got some good ideas. Someone else, you I th- was it? Did you say a James Gunn should have directed yes. this? Yes. Yes. Why do you say that? I think that the cast of characters is very James Gunn and very Guardians of the Galaxy-esque. And I think that he could have done a really good job dealing with the subject matter in a comedic way. Because mm-hmm. um, we see we see some of that in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. We see the comedy mixing with the tragedy really yeah. well. Um, and I'm not going to comment on the new Suicide Squad movie yet because I haven't seen it. But I'm going to be right. seeing it soon. Um, I hope. I mean, it has to be better than the first one. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way it's not. Um, but I think that he's a very good, he's he's good at seeing a movie from ideas like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that blend of like, I won't say tragedy, it's taking extremely damaged characters mm-hmm. and finding the comedy in their lives without making fun of them. Yeah. Uh, just being like, yeah, we like damage exists, like psychological damage exists. 
uh, uh, and people do odd things. They make odd choices, and, and you can I, still find comedy in that. I think that uh, Rocket Raccoon is a really good example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that this movie could have been something amazing, and it's yeah. not, and that sucks. I also just hate the Catholic Church so much. Yeah, it's tough, because this is a very, I mean, still so is The Exorcist. The Exorcist is also a very pro-Catholic yeah, but- Th- that's pro-catholic in the horror movie way where i'm like well this isn't realistic because catholic people don't actually have superpowers and demons don't exist right <laughs> no no that's the thing is like this movie is simply trying to make the case for the existence of god and i don't think it's going to prove it to anyone except people who already mm-hmm. for whom this argument already works uh yeah so it, the weirdest thing was that this movie was dedicated to peter vincent blatty mm-hmm. you see this dedication come up at the end uh who died in 2006 so mm-hmm. peter vincent blatty um also appears i believe in this movie in the flashback as little Kane. Mm-hmm. you see like a little boy running across um he died of like a really like like a, a, a was a this really, his a, kid william peter blatty's yeah 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 okay yeah, and so uh, and so he died of like a rare heart ailment. Eek, that and sucks. It does, and so uh, yeah, so it was so it was. You know, there's a little bit of tragedy behind all this. What's weird is that he hadn't died when the mm-hmm. when the uh, commentary track was re- was was recorded. So like that dedication came later, but they do talk about him in the commentary track as being alive. It's it's really like jarring. Um, but uh, if if you want to see this movie, and I'm not saying don't. Uh, it's it's interesting there's a there's a great uh, uh i i put it away blu-ray of it that you can we buy uh there's so much we haven't talked about yet <laughs> i know there's just a lot involved uh and i think it's worth seeing with the commentary track just kind of like explain what blatty was going for uh uh content warning racism homophobia sexual violence mm-hmm. it's really bad handling of mental illness <laughs> Yeah, really bad hand. Nazi, there's Nazi stuff. Uh, no, no animal violence though. No, Th- those dogs. Well, there are is fine. animal violence where an animal <laughs> yes. commits violence several there's funny, times. There's a scene where uh, Jason Miller's character is up in a tree with another character, and they're talking. And Vladdy was like, "We wanted to have squirrels running around through the whole scene, so they got some squirrels and they put them in the tree because he thought it would be interesting. But the squirrels were so goofy that the actors couldn't stop laughing." <laughs> with the squirrels so they eventually had to take the squirrels out of the scene which i thought was a pretty funny like the squirrels were like being squirrels and jason miller and the the other guy were like squirrels so that's how i am i would have related more to this movie if they'd kept that in uh the movie opens with the song uh san antone they play the entire song over very grainy footage of the castle in the the water with the lowest frame rate i've ever seen because that was all restored footage. The, the song was never in the movie until much later. But he's like, I always wanted it to start with this song. But then later on, he's like, I always wanted it to start with a scene in Vietnam. So I don't know what his deal was. But he's like, the lyrics of this song are the theme of the movie. But I'm like, dude, you could have just cut it. And we all would have been fine. We didn't mm-hmm. need to hear this whole You could have just cut most that. of this movie and it would have been fine. What's funny is he came up with the idea for this movie originally because he was adapting a play about malingerers on an army base. Uh, he was trying translating it and they were like he was like it was a comedy and he said i kept trying to put in like deeper themes and he's like i turned in the first pages of my translation and i was immediately fired by the producers because <laughs> they were fair. like what are you doing to our comedy and he's like well i'll write my own philosophical comedy about this would have this basis. could have been a good play 
Well, yes, yes, uh, uh, would be a gr I think a great plays love monologues, mm -hmm. and then you could cut the biker stuff, have it be a, a dark comedy. Uh, we should do our me, own cut of this movie as a play. Has it ever been adapted to the stage? Uh, the night configuration play has it ever been on stage? Does not look like it's ever been adapted to the stage. French so, show idea. <laughs> yeah, somehow somehow get the rights um people love this movie though people think it's great uh i people, don't know who these people people are people are wrong i know one of them mark kermode who does uh who's on the commentary track and does a whole short film a little documentary on it on the on the blu-ray i guess it's an artifact it's got some great performances uh look at it for those i guess um if you, if you want to go see it it's uh, you know who these people are they're the same people who say Fantasia is one of the greatest movies of all time. I think there are more people who love Fantasia than who love this movie. There are um, people who love Fantasia, but then there are people who love Fantasia. There are people who love Fantasia. Uh, Fantasia. <sighs> Listen to our Fantasia episode for our thoughts on sitting through all the Fantasia in one fell swoop. Um, but that's the ninth configuration, uh, direct, written and directed by William Peter Blatty. Uh, Willow, what is the next movie on our list? I'll give you a hint. You've seen it, and we just talked about the fact that you've seen it. Oh, The Shining. The Shining, a movie more people have seen than The Ninth Configuration. I'm interested in rewatching. I haven't rewatched it in a couple of years, so. Uh, uh, I've tried rewatching it several times. Well, you'll be watching it with me, so mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun to talk about. And uh, it's a it's a much more famous more famous movie. It's our our something Kubrick. We've watched several Kubricks now. Mm -hmm. And uh, and this is the Kubrick that everyone talks about. Uh, turns out, The Shining, people like this one. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to to discussing it. Uh, and then we've got a couple more horror films. We've got some action movies coming up. A children's movie, uh, drama. Wait, why did Guillermo del Toro like this movie? No oh, idea. Yeah, why does Guillermo del Toro <laughs> like the Ninth Configuration? We almost forgot to talk about it. Uh, Guillermo del Toro on the Ninth Configuration. He says. Uh, writing a wrong, Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane by William Peter Blatty, hardcore Catholic meditation, humanistic, deep. And I'm going to, I'll agree with him. It is deep. It's very humanistic. It has a line I actually really liked so much that I, uh, that I made it my cover photo on Facebook, <laughs> which is, which is Cutshaw saying to Kane, you're too human to be human. And I think at its heart, this movie does have a sense of cutting through the BS and saying that we're all people. And I guess that's why I think Guillermo Toro likes it because it's a difficult movie. And it, it is a movie that the filmmaker is just it's definitely about the filmmaker. Yeah, this movie is definitely the filmmaker's love and it should never have been released because a filmmaker's love should never be. But any artist has that one project, their first project that they work on. That's never going to see the public eye because it'll never be good enough. Hmm. This is that. You want to know how I know that? Because he re-released it, recut it, and changed things so many times. But, I mean, Game of Del Toro's first movie is, is good. Kronos is good. Is that the first movie he ever wrote, or is it the first movie he tried to get released? <laughs> I don't know. But Game of Del Toro likes this movie. Writing a wrong. That's all he says. Hardcore Catholic meditation. Humanistic. Deep. Uh, I don't know what effect this movie had on the movies of Game of Del Toro. I, I think part of the problem I have with this movie is the Catholics, the Catholic Church's view of what makes a human is very different from my view of what makes a human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you made a whole face. I made a whole face. I scared the cat. I also just, 
the way they tried to get certain messages across didn't work for me. I really truly think that in the end he did not it was not a selfless act that he made. Right. I just even even in the he let himself die, like that wasn't selfless either. There's just you can't what would have been selfless is living and dealing with the repercussions of his actions. Instead, yeah, he avoided his consequences, which isn't fair. Yeah, that's one of the problems with having him have that huge violent outburst right before. Mm-hmm. It's also right one of the, the problems with, I just think, having him kill a little boy. Like, it's just, it's not, you can't claim someone is selfless when they, it's just, it's, it doesn't work. <laughs> so 10 out of 10? No. Thumbs up? Big thumbs up? Thumbs Hardy down. recommend? It's a no. big Willow recommend. So you heard it here first. Willow recommends the ninth configuration. Also known as this Twinkle is the Twinkle. first movie I haven't recommended, by the way. Is it? Yep. No. Yep. No. I've recommended every other movie that we've watched. Even if you didn't like it. Yep. Well, I say give it a look. I say give it a look. If you can find it, give it a look. Uh, maybe don't buy the Blu-ray unless you really want it. Um, but, you know uh, what? It's, I, it's... Will, I will say watch this movie with no expectations. Did you freeze? You froze. Oh, well, you froze on my end. Are you? Am I still frozen? No. Oh, you are still frozen, but continue talking. Watch this movie with no expectations and uh, prepare to be disappointed. Uh, okay, that is that is the final word on Twinkle Twinkle, Killer Kane, also known as the Ninth Configuration. For no um, reason. Oh, yeah, the Ninth. Oh, yeah, it's called... God. <laughs> it's called the Ninth Configuration because the... Uh, the configuration of like molecules, blah blah blah, for life to appear on a planet uh, would have to be like 0.9 something. I don't know. Uh, William Peter Blatty says that in order for life to form on a planet, it was it'd be so rare that it would take like more time than has ever existed in the universe for life to appear. I say yes, the chance of life evolving on a planet is rare, but it obviously happened. So here we are. Uh, so stay tuned for The Shining, where we will be discussing axes and mayhem and uh, here's blood Tony's. elevators. Blood elevators and twins. We all and know The Shining. Women. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, so check us out. It's Del Toro time. Keep listening to the show. Like and review us. Subscribe. Smash that like I hope button. we get a bunch of haters who really love this movie listening to this I episode. hope so, too. I hope people are like, oh, sweet, a, a ninth configuration review. And then they're like, what? This is my favorite movie. Uh, and then again, they furnish their sad, sad lives. Some great performances. Some great script writing. Doesn't work as a movie. Uh, so, I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when it's Del Toro time. time.